Calvary Chapel Street. It's uh, turning our Bibles to hear the word of the Lord. Um, we're going to be reading first from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a well-known gospel passage, and then in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to those. I'll be reading in, uh, from the NIV as requested by our um, preacher today. Um, just as you're turning there, I just want to say I'm really excited to be as a church going into Luke, going in and through a narrative about the life and times of the incarnate God walking about on this very planet and uh, going to the cross is very exciting. So, um, yeah, please make sure you get the opportunity to read. Now, how it's going to work, just very quickly so you understand why I'm reading quite so much this morning, is that uh, we're not going to preach every single verse through Luke. We're going to read a section and the, the, whoever's preaching that, that week will choose a bit to preach on rather than the whole passage. And the idea is that we will all as a church read through the Gospel of Luke at least once. If you're reading it at home, you read it twice. So read it at home and read it when we, uh, we come to uh, share the word as well. So 1 Corinthians 15 first and then Luke chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes, now... Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believe in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one un, untimely born, abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Now for the big reading in Luke chapter 1. Um, it's about 40 verses, but just bear with us. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know that certain, oops, I'll say that again, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. 
His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will receive, many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is actually in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Gracious God and most loving, loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge again that you are a God who is just amazing, full of majesty, full of righteousness and holiness. And yet somehow, Lord, you have caused us by your grace something new. And so, Lord, I pray as Kev comes now to open your word, you would cause him to, uh, as it were, step aside and let you speak through him. And Lord, most of all, that you would cause us to hear you, to be changed, to see more of you, and to leave here desiring to declare more of you to the world. We pray these things in Jesus. Amen. I grew up in a Christian home. My mum and dad were very devoted Christians. But up until the age of 13, I was living on their faith. The age of 13, I felt the call of God to make a commitment to Christ. And from that point on, I have walked with God, not closely, but I've walked with God and been pretty certain of my faith. And because we're from a musical family, God would put a song in my head from the time that I woke up, basically to the time that I started thinking about something else. And that song would just be nearly pulsing in my head. And I'd be singing it, whatever I was doing. Sometimes I got to the point where I wasn't certain. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Just like Paul said in Corinthians there. And his grace to me was not without effect. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That, that, that kept me walking with God. And even now, I still have songs pop into my head from the time I get up. And sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and there's a song popped in my head again. I'm going, yeah, God is good. We just read that Zechariah was not certain of what the angel was saying. How can I know this is true? He doubted what the angel was saying and he didn't speak until John was born. The angel spoke to Mary and Mary believed and she hid those things in her heart. The purpose that Luke actually says to us right at the start 
in verse 4 is it's so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. What a way to start Luke off. Knowing the certainty of things that you have been taught. Quoting from the NIV study notes, Luke presents Jesus as the Messiah and Lord whose death, his life, death and resurrection makes salvation available to all people. Everywhere, even to the least, the last and the lost. Now, Luke was probably a Gentile by birth because he was listed separately from the only Jews who were with Paul when he wrote Colossians. He seems well-educated in Greek culture, a doctor by profession, a companion of Paul at various times from his second missionary journey to his final imprisonment in Rome and a loyal friend who remained with the apostle after the others had deserted him. He had a knowledge of the Old Testament, which actually suggests that he may have been a God-fearer before he became a Christian. The gospel is specifically directed to Theophilus, whose name means one who loves God, and almost certainly refers to a particular person rather than lovers of God in general. Use of most excellent supports the idea that he was either Roman official or at least of high position and wealth. So let's look at verse one of Luke. We'll look at the whole passage actually. Luke wants to make sure that you know, that we know the certainty of what we've been taught. Sam told me a story about a, a particular Leonardo da Vinci painting that sold for three, sorry, for 430 million US dollars. Just saying that amount sort of blows my mind. The trouble is there's rumors about that that painting that they spent 430 million US dollars on was possibly a fake. That's an awful lot of money to invest in something that is fake or untrue or worthless. So when we come to church, how do we know what we believe is true? How can we, how can we be certain? Well, there's a few ways. The first one is if you look at the Old Testament texts, they all corroborate each other. Secondly, in our relationship with Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit who testifies to us in agreement with the word, causing us to believe. The Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was 13. And he caused me to believe. And thirdly, Luke has integrity in the way that he learns the truth and records it. He investigated fully and recorded everything that he researched. Luke researched, he asked many witnesses who said the same things, compared the events to the Old Testament writings and was convinced by the evidence put before him that it was true. Now we come to church to learn about more about the God who created everything. 
We don't want to hear stuff that is not true. We don't want to invest in something that is fake. We want to see and hear the authentic gospel. Because Luke has a good knowledge of the Old Testament, he was able to refer back to prophecies and events in history when he was talking to eyewitnesses who were there with Jesus and say these things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, things prophesied in the Old Testament are now fully accomplished. Now, Luke reminds me of a CSI investigator who researches and asks questions and gets answers. Does that describe each one of us? Do we research? Do we ask questions? Do we get answers? Do we study God's word? When we study God's word, we should be asking God, what are you teaching me today? How can I get closer to you? Where do you want me to be? William Peterson, an actor in the TV series CSI, played the role of Dr. Gil Grissom, who seemed to be uh, a lead investigator in solving how people died. In one of the episodes, he says, follow the only thing that does not lie, the evidence. Luke followed the evidence. He asked questions and he got the truth. Okay, so getting back to the text again in verse 2, it says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, handed down seems to be an unusual phrase. But it's actually a technical term for passing on information as authoritative tradition or passing on the baton, if you want. And Paul also uses this phrase in 1 Corinthians 15.3, where he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. John uses a different phrase. Um, he says, we proclaim, we testify. So in 1 John 1, 1 to 4, we read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Luke, I always thought that Luke was one of Jesus' disciples, but I couldn't remember who Jesus' disciples were. Oh, yeah, there's Matthew, there's Mark, there was John, there was, but was Luke a disciple? No, he wasn't. So he wasn't an eyewitness. But though he was not an eyewitness, he received testimony from those who were eyewitnesses and were dedicated to spreading the word. Apostolic preaching, oral traditions, and interviews with other individuals associated with Jesus' ministry were available to him. 
we have traditions that have been handed down to us from our ancestors, from our families, from our churches, and from our Bible. Most are pretty important, and some vary from church to church. But one tradition that is the most important is this, the gospel. That is, Jesus came to earth as a baby. He grew up. He taught God's word to those around him. He died on the cross. Then he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand. Why did he die? He died for our sins. He took our place. He paid the price for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all, to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believe. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are. Luke, we see the testimony of those who were with Jesus. Now, does this describe you? Do you share your testimony with others? Now, I know in these days of being politically correct, that you've got to be careful and conscious of how and when we talk about God and our faith. But we still need to be sharing with others what God has done for us what God has done for others and that we have the good news. We, we have the gospel. Of course, you can share that God healed us or he's brought us through a certain situation that can only point to God has been in control. And these are all good to share, but we need to be sharing the gospel with others. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the power of the gospel? Are you excited by the gospel? Does God's word excite you into action? Getting back to the text, verse 3 and 4. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. There he goes again. There's the CSI coming out. I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. 
what Luke is saying, okay, so you have all the information. I've written it down from the start of Jesus' life to the finish. I've recorded these events. The reason he gives so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Zechariah wasn't 100% sure of what the angel was saying. Mary, she was 100% sure. She believed and she hid those things in her heart. John, in, in John chapter 20, verse 31, says, but these are written that you may believe or continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, this is not hearsay. This is truth. This will impact the lives of anyone who reads this. Has it impacted your life? Are you walking on with God? Do you know the gospel? Do you have confidence in the gospel? Do you know the gospel with certainty? Is there something in the scriptures that you don't understand? Investigate it. Write it down. Ask God to help you to understand. And even what Warren was saying before about the people who speak in our churches, that they should be speaking the truth. If you're unsure about what has been said from the pulpit, investigate it. Check it out. Get clarification. Test what the speaker has said. And don't take everything as gospel until you're sure. Unless you already know that it's true. And you agree with what's been said. How can you have confidence in the gospel? Now, I'm asking myself this question too. And there's, there's, there's a number of ways that we can have confidence in the gospel. A daily quiet time, which I don't do often enough. Reading the Bible and journaling. Praying. Meeting with other Christians and talking about the things of God and how they are impacting on your life. Dave and I meet nearly every fortnight. We walk around Central Park. We do about four or five laps. We talk about our week, our work, our family, our Christian walk. And then we sit down and check out what God is saying through Malachi. We then pray for each other and then head off to work. I look forward to this time. Being able to pray for Dave's needs and situations specifically instead of generally is wonderful. And then having Dave pray specifically for my needs and situations, I'm able to go with a lifted spirit. I think we sometimes get too busy with our lives to, that we forget to meet with other Christians and be encouraged by them and for them. So how does this passage apply to us? Because the letter was written to Theophilus. Well, if you remember back to what I said before, Theophilus means one who loves God. So that takes in all of us. Do you love God? This letter's for you. So why don't you read verse three and four again? But this time, put your name 
in the place of Theophilus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, for Kevin, Sandy, for Lucy, for Sam, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. If you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Can you confidently say to him that Jesus has paid my price? I've been sanctified by the blood of the lamb. I've, he has washed me with his blood. Don't take my word for it. Investigate the word. Go to the thing that cannot lie, the evidence. Read it. Make notes. Sam showed me his, one of his Bibles the other day. And I was looking from a distance, but it looked like I couldn't be able to read that because he's got notes scribbled all over his pages. But that's the way to read the Bible. It doesn't say do not write in this because... Make notes in your Bible. Check it out. Talk and learn from, talk with and learn from other Christians. But first and foremost, we need to get on our knees and ask God to teach us from His Word. If you don't know Jesus, let me introduce you to Him. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came to earth as a baby, He grew up. He taught God's word to those around him. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand. Why? He died for our sins. He took our place. He paid the price for our sins. Let him pay your price. Let him be Lord and King of your life. Romans 10, 8 to 13 says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is confess, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that famous verse, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Come to Jesus now because it could be too late if you leave it for another day. We can't decide to have Jesus as the Lord of our life if we're dead. Choose now 
and choose God. God is speaking to us now through his son. We read in Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Are you certain of the truth? Do you have a certainty in the things you have been taught? If your answer is yes, terrific. Show someone else what God can do for them. Thank God for Luke. Walk on with God. If your answer is no, then let me encourage you to read the Bible, to meet with Christians, to investigate it, to find the truth. Be like a person called Frank Morrison who set out to prove that God did not exist, but resulted in him becoming a Christian and writing a book, Who Moved the Stone? Because the evidence was too great. Be certain of what and who you believe in, as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, that I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been trusted to me. Are you convinced? Do you know who you believe in? Has he changed your life? But I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Lord, that we can be sure of what we have been taught because we know whom we have believed. I know, I'm convinced that you are able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And I know that you have saved the world. It's just for people to want to come to you and have that, that conviction as well. I pray that they will know with certainty what they believe in Jesus name. Amen.